So last week we talked about uh, Romans chapter 12 and that in Romans chapter 12 this, there's this shift that happens because right up to Romans chapter 12, 1, 1 through 11 is talking about how we, should, how we should think about things, how we should see life, how we should see our, our lives play out, how we should understand what the Bible says about how we should live. But in chapter 12, there's this shift that happens where he goes from talking about how to think about things to how to live our life, of what our life should look like. And so he starts with this lesson on how we should live as Christians by saying, and this is Romans chapter 12, verses one through three. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but Rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. And I was thinking about this transformation, and we're really in a time of transformation right now because it's fall. The, the leaves are changing colors pretty soon. They'll be transforming themselves from on trees to off trees. Um, and I was just thinking about that, and, and it kind of got me thinking about just change and, and science, which I don't think about science too often because it hurts my brain, but I, I, I was thinking about, you remember back when you were in school and you learned about physical change versus chemical change? Anybody remember that? Physical change versus chemical change? So, uh, that's all right. So, so help me out here. So what, what is physical change? Does anybody remember? Tell me what physical change is. Puberty. Uh, uh, you always have one in the crowd. Uh, and, and it's a Cooper. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, phys a physical change is when you change something, but you don't really change its makeup. You just change how it looks. And you change, uh, you know, it, it's still the same thing, but it's just in a little bit different form. And then a chemical change is what? Does anybody remember what a, the, the, the chemical change is? A chemical change versus, come on. Yeah, yeah. So it's when a chemical change is, happens when you change the chemical makeup of something and it creates something entirely new, that you've created a new substance. And so it, really that's what, what he's kind of talking about is a lot of people, a lot of people that are, are you know, say that they're Christians, a lot of people that are religious and follow God, a lot of times what you have happen is a sort of a physical change that they don't really change their life too much. They, they you know, they change a little bit about how they look and, and maybe they dress differently and talk a little bit differently and, and, and they, their life changes a little bit, but they're still basically the same person. 
And, but what he's, what Paul's saying is it's more like a chemical change where Jesus comes in and he completely changes the makeup of who you are. That you're completely becoming a brand new person through Jesus. That it's transformation. And that this idea of living as a living sacrifice in a way that represents real and true sacrifice is in a way that you become fundamentally and spiritually a whole different person. As the Bible says, that the old is gone and the new has come. Where we give up everything for Jesus. Where you don't live like the world lives, talk like the world talks, act like the world acts, think like the world thinks. Where you don't get to hold yourself up as important anymore because your life has been sacrificed and given up for Jesus. So it's not about you anymore. We talked about that last week. It's not about you. And so for the rest of chapter 12, he starts laying out, this is how life should look to someone who has offered themselves up to God as a living sacrifice, to somebody who's been transformed. This is what life should look like. And the first question that you have to ask with that is, am I? Am I a living sacrifice? Have I offered myself up to God and said, God, whatever you want to do with me, you can, you can do. Whatever you want to have, you can have it. I surrender my, my whole life, my whole self, my, my, my thoughts, my actions, my will, my rights, all of it. It's, it's all yours. But maybe the real question is, is do I want to be? Do I want to be a living sacrifice? Is that the intention of my life? Do I really desire for my life to no longer conform to the world's standards, but to be transformed in a way that who I am and who I used to be it has fundamentally changed? And if the answer is no, that's not really who I want to be, then maybe, you know, Jesus isn't exactly what you're looking for because when Jesus comes into your life, that's what happens. When you surrender your life to Jesus, when you pray and say, God, I'm giving my life to you, that's what happens, that God begins to rework who you are and, and fundamentally change that. If the answer is, is yes, that's what I want to be, that's, that's my intention, that's who I want to be, is somebody whose life is completely surrendered to King Jesus. That's the way I want to live. Then today we're going to be moving into chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, we've been studying Romans now for a while. And Paul's going to continue to talk about what a life that's offered to God as a living sacrifice looks like. And buddy, we are getting right down into the dirt of it today. We're just jumping right into the deep end of, of Paul digging through people's lives and, and your personal life and saying, this has got to change. This is how, the, how a living sacrifice kind of look, life looks like. So that's where we're going to be. Uh, going to dig into Romans chapter one, starting or Romans chapter thirteen, verse one. Uh, if you have your Bibles and you want to read along, that's where we'll be. If not, it's on the screen behind me, or you can pull out your phone and Bible app. However you want to do it. 
But that's where we're going. And I'm going to read, actually, all of Romans chapter 13. It's only 14 verses. Uh, And then we'll kind of go back and dig down through it uh, a little bit more verse by verse. This is Romans 13. It says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. You want to be free from the fear of those in authority? Then do what is right, and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for the rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities. Not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, pay revenue. If respect, then, rev- then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing in drunkenness and not in sexual immorality and debauchery or in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Before we get into this, check out how he ends it. He, he ends it basically with this reminder. Don't think about how to gratify your own desires. In other words... At the end of chapter 13, he adds, P.S., still not about you. <laughs> so let's, let's dig into this a little bit. Romans 13, verse 1, says, Let everyone, all you who are, are the living sacrifices, people transformed by God, let all of you, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. And let's be honest, we don't like being subject to other people. We want to run things our way, the way we want to run them. And it's born into us. If you don't, I mean, if you don't believe that, just be around even a one-year-old who is actively trying to fight against mom because he wants this food or wants what he wants. 
And you fast forward to toddler years. They call it terrible twos for a reason. It's because they don't want to be subject to what you want them to do. Fast forward another 10 years to teenagers. And, you know, when I was a teenager, I, you know, I thought my parents were dumb. You know, everybody, you know, here probably thought, man, when, when, when you were a teenager, you were like, why are they so, like, they don't understand the world like I do. We, I, I understand the, more, the world more fully and more accurately than my parents. And I, you know, there were, there are things that my parents told me, made me do when I was a teenager that I was like, that is the dumbest thing in the world. Why would, why would, why would I have to do that? And then I started dating Bethany and Bethany's parents were, were good Christian parents. And, and, and so then I had to, we know I went to Bethany's house. I had to follow their rules and, and we'd talk about it in the car. We'd be driving around going, I don't know why my parents made up such dumb rules. It's just dumb. And now I've got teenagers and I'm like, they were really smart. They, 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 that was a really good idea. I'm glad they did that. That was, that was smart. They, that was good, good call. You know, because we just don't like being subject to other people telling us what to do. We don't like it when other people are in charge. And there's a lot in us that wants to push back against being subject to others. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, is that pushback, is that coming from our flesh or is that coming from the Holy Spirit? Remember he says, it's not about you. It's not, don't think about how to gratify the desires of your flesh. When we have that pushback against authority and governing authority, and, and that is that coming from the Holy Spirit of God or is that coming from our flesh? Jesus said in Matthew or in Mark 9:35, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. As a living sacrifice, when you say it's not about me, it's about God. It's about giving my life for him. But then the God that we serve, the God that we've given up our desires and our rights and our will to says, be subject to the governing authority. Serve them. You have to be the servant of everyone. As a living sacrifice, when God says, to subject yourself to the governing authorities and you feel this desire to kind of push back against that, you have to ask yourself, why is that? You have to question, the question that you have to ask is, am I, am I pushing back because God is being dishonored? When it comes to especially governing authorities, is the pushback, is it because God is being Dishonored because that's one thing. There, and you see it in the book of Daniel where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, look, we're not bowing down to this golden idol because God is dishonoring to God. It goes against what God has told us to do. And so they push back against it. Later on in the book, Daniel, see it again. Daniel, they say, look, you can't pray to anybody but the king. And Daniel's like, no, I'm praying to God. And he gets in trouble for it, but he pushes back against it because God is going to be dishonored. 
It goes against what God, if you're a living sacrifice, what God has called you to is always number one. So am I pushing back because God is being dishonored or am I pushing back for my own personal reasons? Because of my own personal feelings and what I want. And in this world we live in today, you hear a lot of pushback against governing authorities from Christians. But so much of it out there is pushback, not based on the fact that God is being dishonored. It's pushback because my personal feelings, my personal desires uh, aren't happy. It, a lot of the pushback you hear is from personal desires rather than for the sake of honoring Jesus. And so there may be some areas that, again, like we talked about last week, we maybe need to shift a little bit. He says, again, this is verse one. He says, the authorities that exist have been established by God. And that's a fun one to wrestle through. Hopefully, that's, what, that's one of the reasons we say, get in a connect group, get in a small group where you can, where you can discuss what's going on in, in, the, in the book here because we can't have this whole discussion in just a sermon but there's some really interesting things to say, to think through. If, if the authorities that exist have been established by God. That means Donald Trump has been established by God. But that also means that Barack Obama was established by God. That means that Senator Ted Cruz was established by God. But that also means that Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has been established by God. That means that your boss has been established by God. That means that your pastor has been established by God. That means that your parents have been established by God. Your teacher, if, if you're in school, has been established by God. And you might not like it, but you are to be as a transformed, living sacrifice, Christ follower, servant, you are to be subject to them. In verse 2, he says, consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Have you been rebelling against the authority that God has placed in your life? Or making yourself a subject to and servant of it? Because those who rebel against it will bring judgment on themselves. That's what it says. 
Verse three and a little bit of four. He says, for the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Then do what is right and they'll honor you. It's like I tell my kids, if you just do what I say, you don't have to worry about being punished. The authorities, it says, are God's servants and they are sent for your good. Again, that's a conversation that it's interesting to work through that, that whatever God has put in authority, he's instituted and he's put there for your good. And you're probably asking yourself the same question I asked when I wrote that. Like, how could that guy be God's servant for my good? Like, okay, this guy, okay, maybe. But like that guy, like, I don't get that. How could that guy be God's servant for my good? I don't know. I don't know. All I know is that I have to trust God. I have to trust God that they are. I have to trust God uh, that God is faithful and that God is loving and that God is good. And that ultimately, I don't got much of a say in it anyway because I've sacrificed my will to his will and it's not about me. So I guess I'll just go and trust God that whatever is, is there is for my good. He says in verse four, but if you do wrong, be afraid for he who does not bear the sword, or he does not bear the sword in vain for he's the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Last week we said, look, you are not the avenger. You are not the avenger for yourself. That God does that. God takes care of it. It's mine to deal with, God says. This says, but sometimes God does that through people that he's put in the place to deal with it. He does use those whom he's established as a governing authority to, to do those things. Smitty, who we all stand with, hashtag, you know, the, the police, they have been instituted by God, placed in a place of authority to help deal out justice, judges. You, on the other hand, unless you have some kind of a badge or a commission, you're not an avenger. So in verse five, he says, therefore... One must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath. Now think about that for a second, that if you have put yourself in a place where you are not under subjection to those in governing authority, you're putting yourself in line of God's wrath. It's not a good place to be, just so you know. If you're not being subject to the governing authority, if you're saying, no, screw that, you know, then you're putting yourself in line for God's wrath. 
But he says, do it also for the sake of conscience. Because you know what God's word says about it. At least you do now because we just read it. If you aren't in subjection, then you're in sin. James 4.17 says, if anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. He says, do it for the sake of conscience. You know what the right thing to do is. And if you're not doing it, then that's sinful. So, I know what you're thinking and have been thinking up to this point. How does this apply to me? How does this play out? How am I supposed to live out this be subject to the authorities? Some of you are asking the ultimate question, what does this mean for masks? Some of you might be upset. You're going, oh man, Pastor Brian's telling me I have to wear a mask. I have to social distance. What do I have to do? Whatever the government tells me to. Look, I'm not telling you anything. I'm not telling you you have to do anything. I'm not your mama. I'm, I'm, I'm not... You're a grown person. You're a grown, uh, grown up. You have the same Holy Spirit in you that I have in me. I don't get a different one because I'm a pastor or because of I, I, you have the same Holy Spirit that I do. You are, uh, uh, most of it, you anyway, are grown-ups. If you're not a grown-up, do what your mom tells you. And, and you have the same Bible that I have. I'm not going to tell you anything. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying if you're questioning what does this subject yourself to the authorities mean about masks, go home, get alone with God, prayerfully read Romans 13 again, and ask God, what should I do? Ask him. Ask me. Ask God, what should I do? The only thing I'm going to tell you is that if God says that you should do something and you don't do it, then it's sin. That's the only thing I'm going to tell you, and that's not even me telling you that. That's James. When it comes to what should I do, what, like, how does this play out for me? What about this situation? What about this situation? What about with my bus? He's a jerk. I don't like him. Like what, you know, all of these different situations. I'm not going to tell you. Go home. Get alone with God. Prayerfully read through Romans 13 and say, God, what should I do about that? What should I do about my boss? Verse 6, he says, for because of this, you also pay taxes. By the way, pay your taxes. Good idea. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God. Did you catch that? Because when I caught that, my brain blew up a little bit. And it leaked out my ear. And that's why I can't do science. Authorities, it says, are ministers 
of God. I'll let you wrap your head around that for a second and then let, let your brain blow up. God put them into, whether they believe it or not, whether they know it or not, ministry. To minister God's will. That's nuts. It says, for, because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to, the, to whom respect is owed. And just hold up real quick, one more time, before we finish this verse, quick reality check of what he's saying and who he's saying it to. Paul is writing this to Christians in Rome. Pay your taxes and give respect to the ones who are using your taxes to build a coliseum that they're going to use to feed you to lions. The ones who are going to light you on fire with oil that is paid for out of the revenue that you have given them to be used to make Christians to be used as street lights. That's where the term Roman candle comes from, is when they used to tie Christians up on poles, douse them in oil, light them on fire, and use them as street lights. That's what a Roman candle is, and it's firework. But that's where the name comes from. He, he's saying, these people, these Romans that you're living in and amongst, being Christians in and amongst, pay your taxes. If you owe them revenue, give them revenue, give them respect, and honor them. That kind of, again, maybe shifts a little bit. Like, we have some things to complain about the government. The government doesn't always do a great job. But they're not lighting us on fire either. And he's saying to the church in Rome, give them their due. Subject yourselves to the authorities. That's next level stuff. That's, you got to be a living sacrifice kind of stuff. Pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honors is owed. And if you remember last week, he said, honor one another above yourselves. This includes dishonorable people and dishonorable governments. This is what God says. And again, it's not about you, Cupcake. It's just not. It's about following God and doing what God says and being a living sacrifice transformed. Not about you. It's about God. And God says, honor them. I bet, I bet you this sermon has made some of you a little bit uncomfortable. 
And that's okay because the Bible will do that. I mean, it, I am reading this this week and it's making me uncomfortable. You know, I don't necessarily like, as I read this, going like, oh, subject myself to like even those ones. I know there's a part of you that wants to push back against some of this. But again, you just have to check your spirit. If there's pushback, it might be fleshly desires that you need to turn over to Christ. Might not. It might, it might be full and total, like done in the right spirit. God's not being honored and I need to push back against this and I need to stand up for Jesus. But you just have to stop when you're feeling pushback and go, is it, is it God or is it me? And all I can say again is, ask Jesus. He says, pay to all what is owed him, taxes to taxes, who's owed revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whose honor is owed. Owe nothing, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. You're a servant to everyone because you're called to love everyone. Verse 9, he says, For the commandments, you should not commit adultery, you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's all summed up. It all boils down to love. Serving, being subject to Everyone, as Jesus said, and subject to governing authorities, all of it boils down to love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Placing others, placing their desires above yourself and your desires. It's all an act of love. Look, Jesus, when he was here on earth, subjected himself to the governing authorities and allowed himself to be crucified by those governing authorities as an act of love. And we are called to be like Jesus. So all of this, all that we've read today, all of this, placing ourselves under authority of those who God has put in it, it's all an exercise in being like Jesus. And loving our neighbor as ourselves. So if the past nine months has been a test 
of how much you submit to God by submitting to those in authority, how'd you do? If the past nine months has been a test of how much you love your neighbor as yourself by how you submit to and follow and react to and treat and talk about those in places that God has put them in, how'd you do? And I'll tell you what, living in this way, living in this Romans 13 way, it will open up doors for conversations about Jesus. Because if you start praying through this and God starts saying, okay, well, here's how you can shift. Here's how you can shift. This is what you need to change. If you start living this out, it'll open doors because you're definitely not going to be conforming to the pattern of the world. Because the whole world right now, especially our country, we're pushing back against everything. It doesn't matter what it is. We push back against it. 2020 has been the year of the pushback and coronavirus, but a lot of pushback. If you start living differently and saying, well, this is what I'm going to do, but this is why I'm doing it. It's not because I agree with it. It's not because I want to, but it's because I'm a follower of Jesus and this is what Jesus said. And I'm supposed to love them and honor them. It'll start a conversation. In verse 10, he says, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfillment of the law. Love does no harm. Could what you're doing, the way you're thinking, acting, living, reacting, expressing yourself, is it possible that it is bringing harm or could bring harm to someone else? If it is, you're not acting out of love. Verse 11 and 12, and he says, and do all of this understanding the present time. He says, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. He's saying, look, time is almost up. The end is coming. Jesus will be coming again soon. And if you haven't been keeping an eye on the world lately, Jesus' return is coming close. The end of all things is a lot closer now than it was before. And look, even if the world isn't real close, and we've got another thousands and thousands of years, how much longer do you have? You don't know. Maybe your end is coming soon. Maybe you walk out the door and slip on a P-51 
piece of ice that a kid left on the ground, you crack your coconut, and that's the end. Don't wait around to start living for Jesus. Because he says, time's about up. If you've been waiting for something, something is here. So, living sacrifice, one who has set yourself apart for the purpose of pleasing God, Mr. or Mrs. One who has been transformed, new creation in Christ Jesus. How are you living? Or as Paul puts it, what are you going to wear? Verses 12 through 14, he says, So let us put aside the deeds of darkness. And put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently, not, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. One set of clothes, the deeds of darkness, look like someone who is still living for me. One set of clothes, the deeds of darkness, and you go through it and you say, well, I'm, I mean, geez, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not carousing, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not carousing and, and, and drunk all the time, and I'm not in sexual immorality and debauchery, but then he gets to dissension, and dissension is what we've been talking about all day, is pushing back against authority. And jealousy, which is something that's entirely a heart thing. He says, let's put those aside and put on the armor of light. That's a cool picture. You hear about the armor of God, but armor of light. I like, I like that. The, the deeds of darkness, that, that looks like somebody who's still living for me. But he says, rather, put on the armor of light. Clothe yourself with Jesus. Make it about him, and you will literally be clothed with light because wherever you go, people will see Jesus shining through you. So put on your armor of light and may you shine because it's not about you. Let's pray.